Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. There are a whole lot of people, including me, who have been totally floored by this election, and we may have to rethink how we approach politics. But some of those people who have been floored are the people who are supposed to know what the heck is going on in elections, political scientists. But they've been balancing a couple of very unusual candidates with a field that's being reshaped by new technologies. Lynn Vavrick is a political scientist at UCLA who's been watching this political circus as well as the transformation of political science. She's the author of The Gamble, Chance and Choice in the 2012 Presidential Election. Lynn, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. So I was talking to Neil Gabler a few months back, and he's written these big books on Hollywood about Walt Disney and Walter Winchell and Barbra Streisand. And before the interview got going, we were talking, and he was saying that one reason he thinks that political scientists kind of missed what was going on here in this election is that this wasn't really a political science story. This was really uh, a media story. Uh, That's what Trump was, a media phenomenon. Do you think there's truth to that? Well, I think the first thing to keep in mind is the difference between predicting something and understanding or explaining something. And so it isn't just political scientists who didn't see Trump coming. Nobody saw Trump coming, not political operatives, not people who have been doing this their whole careers, who are campaign consultants, candidates even, party leaders. So his rise on the scene in 2015, I think, caught everyone off guard. And maybe a little bit of that is because he was a media celebrity and nobody fully appreciated his knack for uh, dominating the, the news cycle or the television cycle. But that's quite different from being able to understand or explain his popularity after the fact. And I think we have a pretty good handle on that. How do you think technology has changed your ability to understand this election in a way that maybe four, eight, 12 years ago uh, you wouldn't have been able to? The technological changes that have really affected people who study campaigns and elections have been happening quickly and, as you say, in recent cycles. And the biggest one, I would say, is our ability to do public opinion surveys or polls quickly. Sometimes in real time as things are happening, like debates or convention speeches, but mostly just week by week, the ability to go out and ask people questions, have that happen very quickly, get the responses back, and be analyzing the data all within a couple of days. And that really is a big change for us. Um, It lets us track opinion over time in a way that we couldn't when we were relying on in-person interviews or even phone interviews. And moreover, the internet has allowed us to build these big panels of people who were able to track the same people over the campaign. And that's hugely important if we want to measure persuasion or attitude change. And what have you seen in terms of that attitude change when it comes to the Clinton-Trump drama as it's unfolded? Well, you know, this story is often, this part of the story is often where, uh, you know, people get a little bored because 
There's a lot of stability in these races, in presidential races. We saw it in 2008, we saw it in 12, and we're actually seeing it in 2016 as well. Party identification is a big driver of people's vote choice. And so, for example, in these panels, we've asked people in December of 2015 who they think they're going to vote for. And we can ask them again now in October of 2016, the same people. And roughly 80% of the people are sticking with their initial preference. And maybe that sounds like a big number to you, and maybe it doesn't sound like a big number, but people tend to think that campaigns are moving large swaths of the electorate. And it's really maybe one in five voters is is the most you're going to move. Yeah, see, that is amazing to me because the fact that 80% of people are almost exactly where they were a year ago, I, I mean, it feels like poll numbers have been all over the place in this election. Well, it's important to say that people started there and are ending there, but they may have moved around in the middle. So... The swings that you see in the polls, some of that is going to be sampling noise. Um, Some of it is going to be events that are happening. Uh, The conventions we know always give a bounce, et cetera, et cetera. But people tend to come home to their party identification. And I can tell by the way you reacted to that that you think that might be a bad thing. But party identification as a cue for people who are not policy experts, for people who don't pay attention to politics that much, may not be such a bad thing. So people have something that's part of their identity, and then it takes a lot to get them unstuck from that, from that identity. Yeah, we think that part of what's going on with partisanship is that it is, for many people, an identity wound up in how they think of themselves. You're a woman or you're somebody's brother or father or mother, um, a sister, a best friend. Oh, and a Republican or a Democrat. Mm -hmm. It's part of how you think of yourself. I'm Kara Miller talking to Lynn Vavrick, a political scientist from UCLA. You've talked about there being a lot of uh, fake game-changing moments in an election where people say, well, that's a game-changer, but actually it isn't. Um, in this election, do you think that the Access Hollywood tape, the, the Donald Trump Billy Bush tape, that that was in fact a game-changing moment or it was a fake game-changing moment? Well, it's a big moment. Um, and I, I don't want to suggest that that was a routine campaign moment like we typically see in presidential campaigns. Um, that, that was uh, truly in a class by itself. Now, whether we want to call it It depends on what you mean by a game changer. Did it change the likely outcome of the election? Um, I don't know. Hillary Clinton was ahead by a little bit before that happened. She's ahead by more than that now. Might that have happened anyway? I'm not sure. Um, But it it has the potential to be thought of in that category of things that fundamentally changed the conversation we were having in the election and dominated the framing for the remaining couple of weeks. And a lot of that has to do with how Donald Trump responded to it um, and the things that happened in the days following. So I'm not so sure I would call it a game changer in that it doesn't look like it shifted the outcome of the race in the moment that it happened. Um, But it's definitely a very big, very big moment. And where would you put the whole controversy over whether Donald Trump is going to accept the results of the election? I mean, that that certainly could be seen 
as a quote-unquote game-changing moment. So I wake up some days and I think, wow, this guy's really good at getting all of us to talk about the thing he wants us to talk about. Um, And then other days I wake up and I say, wow, like he really has no idea what he says that's going to catch on fire. Um, And I don't know which one of those two things is true, but what he said in that third debate, I think, was that he wasn't sure whether he was going to accept the outcome of the election. He would let us know. He was going to evaluate it when it happened and, and keep us in suspense. And that has turned into a news story that he will not accept the outcome, um, which isn't quite what he said. And I think that today I wake up and I say, wow, he's really good at getting everyone to talk about what he wants us to talk about. Um, Because instead of talking about the many things in in that third debate that were policy oriented, or quite frankly, some of the things that could have taken the shine a little bit off of Hillary Clinton, um, we are talking about this, this dramatic sort of pause that he gave everyone about what is likely to happen on election night. Um, I don't think it's a game changer, not even close to being the same kind of thing as the video. Hmm. When you think forward in terms of uh, what kind of tools are going to be available to you in four years down the road, next presidential election, what kind of data, what kind of tools do you think you'll have at your disposal that maybe are just in the works right now? Well, I'm not sure, but I would love someday to get to a place where uh, we have a set of people Maybe it's a a little bit like the national exit polls, which is a conglomeration um, of all major networks, uh, news outlets come together and they do this national exit poll. And maybe there's something like that, a co-op of interested parties, even think tanks and government agencies could come together to impanel a set of people who would take surveys even on their mobile devices, just maybe one shot questions. We can just fire out a question and get the data back quickly. And we know a lot about the people so we can appropriately uh, construct representative samples of the electorate or of any sampling frame we want. Um, But that it's seen as somewhat of an honor to be a participant in this, you know, wireless tracking poll for the nation or some such thing. Um, I just think we're at a moment in survey research where we are being pushed to innovate. um, And we're not quite we're not quite where we're going to be uh, for the next decade or so yet. Um, and so maybe the next four years are important in that. might take a little longer. It sounds like an old school focus group just kind of updated for a digital generation. Exactly, like re- but bigger. So really, really big and happening really, really fast. And everybody's not in the same place. Lynn Baverick is a professor of political science and communication studies at UCLA. She's also a contributing columnist to The New York Times. Lynn, thank you so much. Thank you. You can subscribe to Innovation Hub by finding us on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. Or if you want to listen right off our website, you can just head to innovationhub.org. From PRI and WGBH Radio, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub.